0: The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Now on that same day, two men were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see him. And then he said to him, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. The Word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Lori. I'd like to add my welcome to all of you in the name and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. To those of you who are here with us for the first time, uh, visiting with us, those of you who are joining us online, it is always a privilege that the Lord offers to us each week to gather as his people to give him thanks and praise. And today, in particular, we understand more clearly than ever the reason that he is worthy of our worship and our praise. Lori read to you an extended portion that we could fit in the bulletin, but there's a little bit more to the story in Luke 24. So let me read you a couple more paragraphs that follow on. As the three of them were coming near the village to where they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's almost evening. The day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the road and while he was opening the scriptures to us? that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and there they found the 11 disciples and their companions gathered together also saying the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon and then the two from Emmaus said what had happened on the road and how the Lord had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread this has to be one of my favorite encounters in all of scripture and to be honest with you it is one of the reasons why I find claims to the inspiration of the scriptures so convincing here we have two folks we know nothing about them really other than they other than that they were interested in Jesus but they weren't famous we only know one of their names they were just common folk like us people living in a complex world of impatient ideas and hopes and fears the bible doesn't shy away from showing them in all of their foolishness which is really good news to me since i too am more than capable of that kind of foolishness i too have my doubts my fears i missed the point just like they did I wonder some days if the news about Jesus is actually true. The Bible doesn't clean it up. It doesn't try to make them look heroic or wise or spiritual. The same is true for those first disciples. Here are two people, friends we may suppose, or maybe husband and wife, making their way home from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus, about a two hour walk. It was a Sunday, like this one. It was a Sunday that had begun like every other Sunday, but by nightfall, these two had had their world turned upside down. I wonder this morning, if you have come to worship, prepared to have your world turned upside down. These two had to be forlorn confused and shaken. They had been convinced that there was something unusual, something remarkable about Jesus, that perhaps he fit the description of their scriptures when they spoke about a Messiah, a chosen one, sent by God at long last to redeem Israel, to restore her to her former glory that she had known under King David. And yet, What had they just witnessed? Their would-be leader had been arrested, tried, convicted unjustly, and then subjected to the gravest humiliation of all. Public Roman crucifixion. And you need to understand something about Roman crucifixion. Not only is it a horrific way to die, It was also the Roman Empire's way of declaring that the person hanging on that cross was so contemptible that he wasn't worth killing in a decent way. If you were one of those two folks walking home to Emmaus, what would your state of mind have been? The one who had carried their hopes was now gone, killed in such a way as to ensure that he would be considered a shameful figure. His name became like a cuss word, not to be mentioned in polite company, and certainly not to be identified with. These two had to be beyond comforting, afraid, guilty by association, ashamed of their gullibility To be so taken in, and now to make things worse, there was a confusing rumor that something had happened to the body. They had to be undone. But then, without warning, they are joined by a stranger. Jesus is walking with these two, but they don't recognize who he is. He inquires about what they're talking about, And we have the response from Cleopas. How do you hear the tone of his voice when he responds to Jesus' inquiries? Are you the only person in this whole place who doesn't know what just happened in Jerusalem? If you don't have a sense of humor, you're gonna miss the moment. Because Jesus is playing along. He keeps a straight face when Cleopas asks him, are you the only person who doesn't know what was going on? What things happened in Jerusalem today? Jesus, with a straight face, looks at him and says, what things? And then he patiently listens to them as they tell him everything that he has just done. And they truly didn't know the half of it. But still, Jesus plays along. Can not you see him commenting on the two friends as they're telling the story, recounting the events of the day? Oh, really? What happened next? But then it's his turn to speak. And to tell them how they have missed the point. He went through their scriptures and began to explain how he, Jesus Christ, was at the center of it all. What stories do you think he told? What stories did he reference in the Old Testament? I'm sure he looked to the prophets and especially Isaiah and the references there to a suffering servant who would give up his life. Perhaps he talked about Joseph. Do you remember Joseph, perhaps from your Sunday school days in the coat of many colors, when his brothers, out of envy, had him sold into slavery and assumed that he was dead, but then surprised in a moment of crisis to find that their brother not only was alive, but in a position of influence and power. And he then was responsible for saving his people from death. I imagine he also spoke of jonah we know this from matthew chapter 12 he used jonah three days and nights in the belly of a whale as an example an illustration of his own life death and resurrection or the scapegoat in leviticus 16 you understand my point there were all kinds of stories from the old testament that jesus might have called on to help make clear the true mission and purpose of his coming. But still, they didn't recognize him. They were, however, well-trained in the hospitality that prevails to this day in the Middle East. And they pleaded with this wise Bible teacher to come and stay with them. And it was then at table as Jesus took bread and broke it and gave it to them that they recognized him. It's that moment that Rembrandt, on the cover of your bulletin today, tried to capture. And I love it. I wanted you all to see that because I love the expression of the guy's eyes as he realizes at this particular moment who this is, who has been with them and is now seated at table with him. Don't you wonder what happened at that moment at the table that suddenly opened their eyes? From their description of Jesus, when they were talking to Jesus, it seems that they had heard some unconfirmed rumor that the tomb was empty and that Jesus had been seen. But they were still thinking of Jesus in the way that many people today think of him, as a great teacher or a prophet. And there in the sentence we read was probably a summer, summary of how the disciples had understood Jesus' life and ministry. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before the Lord. And in this description, he wouldn't have been too different from the other great luminaries of ancient Israel. But the truth for our friends in Emmaus is that they simply could not get past crucifixion. The crucifixion of Jesus was the death of whatever hopes they had for a liberated Israel. Their experience is reflected in the first verse of a sonnet that's on the back of your bulletin by the British poet Malcolm Guyte. Speaking for those folks in Emmaus, he writes, we thought that everything was lost and gone. Disaster on disaster overtook us. The night we left our Jesus all alone and we were scattered and our faith forsook us. But oh, that foul Friday proved far worse, for we had hoped that he had been the one, till crucifixion proved he was a curse. And on the cross, our hopes were all undone. You see, they had no imagination for a Messiah who would have to suffer and die In order to redeem not just Israel but all of humanity all of creation but then the story turns Jesus took bread broke it blessed it and gave it to his new friends but now do you see the roles are suddenly reversed Jesus is no longer the guest now he is the host the Lord of the table. And could it be, as he extended his hands to offer bread to his companions, that they then caught a glimpse of those horrid spike wounds? Could it be that in that moment they realized that crucifixion is not the end of the story? And then he was gone. His walking companions had to be stunned even as they headed out into the dark and hurried back to Jerusalem to tell whomever they could find. They had to be kicking themselves, don't you think? I think it sounds funny to hear them say something like, oh, I knew it was Jesus the whole time we were talking to him. And the other one says, yeah, me too. I even had this spiritual experience of burning in my heart. They had no clue. But regardless of their embarrassment, And isn't it good to know that we serve a God who is patient with us in our foolishness? Isn't it good to know this morning of all mornings, that in the many days when we have our own doubts and fears, where we wonder about resurrection, the Lord understands? Regardless of these two and their embarrassment, about their thick-headedness. They knew enough to understand now that if Jesus was no longer dead, then everything in heaven and on earth is different. I imagine that two-hour walk back to Jerusalem was pretty quiet as the two of them reflected on the stories that Jesus told as they began to work out the implications. I hope we won't be too hard on our friends here I think it's easy to miss the point, especially when we ourselves are caught up in a world that every day tells us in a million small ways that we are fools or worse for putting our trust in a guy who lived a long time ago, for daring to believe the dramatic claim of the gospel, a claim that is validated by the bodily resurrection that Jesus Christ is the way the truth and the life we experience the oddness and the challenge of that claim every day don't we we feel the tension this morning of being in church and then knowing tomorrow we will be in the walking the halls of our employers or we will be walking the halls of our school we feel the tension between what we say this morning and what we will not say tomorrow. And of course, we have our own personal histories to deal with, don't we? Histories of grief, our own crucifixions of a sort, pain and grief from our past or our present that threatens to become the one fixed point in our lives. That point through which all meaning and hope must pass. Like those two Emmaus pilgrims, sometimes it feels like we simply can't get past the crucifixion moments of our own lives to see the future. But listen to Malcolm Geith's second stanza of his sonnet. Oh, foolish, foolish heart, why do you grieve? Here is good news and comfort to your soul. Open your mind to scripture and believe. He bore the curse for you to make you whole. The living God was numbered with the dead that he might bring you life in broken bread. Crucifixion is not the end of the story. Everything looks different when seen, not through the prism of our own grief and pain, but through the person of Jesus Christ, resurrected and ascended. Here he is, hands outstretched, hands that bear the scars of his suffering. But you realize, of course, that his scars are our scars. He has taken them upon himself, of his free will, and only out of love for you. And the new life that he offers to you, he does because he has defeated the dread, the hopelessness and the fear that attaches to those scars of our memories. By his resurrection, he invites each one of us just as he invited those friends in Emmaus to reinterpret the way that we tell the story of our lives including our failures and our griefs. To reinterpret the way that we understand the trajectory of our lives because now we know the end of that story. It is a story that ends not in tragedy and despair and crucifixion. Your pain is not the end of your life's story. It is instead a story of new life, of rebirth, and of unquenchable hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that by changing the future, God can change the effects of the past. Some of you are old enough to remember when the Iron Curtain fell. There were many observers who were stunned to discover that as that society began to open up to outside observers that the church of jesus christ far from being persecuted out of business was thriving in a million creative ways and we know why now from stories like this one in a city of the former soviet union a communist party official was lecturing a packed house on the foolishness of Christianity and the impossibility of resurrection. We have our own party officials on YouTube today, who give much the same kind of lecture. But at the conclusion of this lecture, a brave Orthodox priest rose to his feet and asked the party official for permission to speak. Yes, you may speak, came the answer, but you may only have five minutes." The priest replied, "'Five seconds is all I'll need.' And then he turned to the auditorium, and he raised his voice, and lifted his arms, and he said, "'Christos aneste! Christ is risen!' And without hesitation, the crowd in that moment spoke the truth. They responded, is risen indeed. And with that cry, you could hear the Iron Curtain fall. With that same cry, our own Iron Curtains of fear and grief and guilt and longing and defensiveness and anxiety. All of those and more have come crashing down. Death itself because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, has been defeated, vanquished by him. And Today I say to you, friends, that because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ is present here to be encountered. Not just some interesting character from antiquity, but alive and more alive than we are. And so I say to you, the Lord is risen. He is risen risen indeed. indeed. The Lord is risen. He is is risen risen indeed. indeed. Amen.
0: Amen.